Howdy folks, I am the Newsprint Commando, Ed Moore, welcome to my show, Capital Comics, Nexus Volume 2, Issue 4, cover dated November 1983, story entitled The Ziggurat is the book in front of me. If you want to send me any feedback at any point on Facebook and Twitter, you can find me at T-O-T-E-A-L Productions. The email address for the show is imindyman at gmail.com and the website comicbooknoise.com slash T-N-C Tango November Charlie. Just the letters, not the whole words. Now this story comes to us from Mike Barron and Steve Rude, Pencils and Inks, Colors, Les Dorscheid, and Letters, Mary Pulliam. Apparently, you can find it reprinted in Nexus Legends from First Comics, Issue 4, August 1989, Nexus Number 1 from Dark Horse Comics, April 1993, and the Nexus Archives, Volume 1, Dark Horse Comics, November 2005. As well as this, Nexus Four, uh, Volume Two, Number Four, Capital Comics, November 1983, is the original. So those are your options to read along. I'll give you a moment. Now that you have the book, let's continue. Front cover, full, full cover picture with everything overlaid. Nexus Number Four glows with originality. Harlan Ellison. Harlan did send in a letter at some point that was included in the back of this issue, and oddly enough, someone named. Dana Buck, whose letter was even longer than Mr. Ellison's. I don't know who that is. Front page editorial here from Richard Brunning, uh, detailing a trip he took to New York for a convention. I don't see it quickly, but he talks about other books uh, on the market that he's interested in. Talks about Badger and some of the creatives. Drops a whisper hint in some of the creatives. And tells us that Baron and Rude fans will want to pick up Pacific's new Vanguard comic. Besides featuring notable work by developing new talents, they're running a pre-Nexus story by Mike and the Dude. Though not quite the caliber of the latest issue of Nexus, it's an interesting, well-done piece nonetheless. Bizarre, too. So I think it's just another story. I don't think it's Nexus Continue, but continue Nexus content. I'm not sure what word I was looking for there. Um, I'll see if I can find that and, and take a look at it and see what's going on with it. Also, I have put together other interviews and things by Baron and Rude about uh, Nexus that I'll be looking through here in the next couple days as I'm recording this probably to try to sift through and see if I've gotten any cool nuggets that I'll drop on the show before I finish up this Capital Comics Nexus coverage. So the first page, uh-oh, it's the Z on the line, and then the next line, IgG, and then the next line, U-R-A-T, the Ziggurat. Nexus number four, Baron and Rude, the smiling monkey wrench of past and future closes in on the now of me. And that's a quote from Mercy Hans. I have no idea who that is. Didn't look it up. I'm reading Nexus, not Mercy Hans. If someone thinks that I should read Mercy Hans, let me know. Ready, aim, fire are the words here. Ready, the panel shows some people lined up against the wall with the narrator telling us, this is the dream, and then the next panel, this is the dreamer, and it's Horatio twisting in bed. Aim, dream, a lineup of people holding firearms, presumably going to shoot those against the wall. The dreamer, Nexus, is twisted more. And then fire, Nexus, and he sits bolt upright in bed, screaming in pain, clutching his abdomen, as he is experiencing probably whatever pain these people went through, having been shot by the firing squad. 
Outside his door, two, four, six, eight, nine people are writhing in pain and exclaiming in their own language as Dave just stands here watching. Sandra comes up and is asking him what's going on. And basically, he's telling her that at um, times of intense dreams by Horatio, that this is often the scene as those people that are psychically sensitive or full out have psychic powers, they're apt to gather outside his door and basically, from what Dave understands, experience whatever the more emotional aspects are of the dream that Nexus is having. So you kind of find out how bad it is by, you know, how many people are outside his door. Nexus comes out and is still um, in, a, in a haze or a funk or maybe even still asleep, but Sandra wakes him up and we see welts on his chest um, where he experienced more than just the pain, apparently, of those people that he was dreaming about. Going to his back-to-tank to heal, she asks Dave if he's ever seen Nexus physically show signs of his dreams, and he says, only, only once before have I ever seen that. Nexus once again goes on a mission. Uh, apparently, this is the dream that made things too intense to not do something. He walks through the gauntlet of upraised Hitler fists by everybody, um, asks Musro to keep an eye on Sandra, and proceeds to enter his ship. We're told that the planet has no name. It's a water world. Oceans cover 94% of its surface. Sentient creatures live here, but they are pastoral. Fishermen, they leave no mark upon the land. As far as the eye can see, there are no artificial constructs, no mechanical contrivances to mar its natural beauty, except for two objects. The Nexus ship that Nexus jumps out of, and this is the other one, and it's a giant armored ziggurat floating in the sky. Nexus attempts to um, land on the top part of it, but a gun rises up and shoots him off, some laser energy thing. You called it Inga. He says, uh, Inga, we find out, is the person inside in control. And I guess because he was just going to land and talk, but they shot at him first is, is his thinking. Although it's interesting because Inga knows who he is and knows what he's there for. And so really she is not taking the first step. She is acting in self-defense. So uh, a couple indigenous people from the planet are in a balloon and ask Nexus to stop because as he is attacking the ziggurat, it's wrecking havoc with the sun that is uh, that the planet circles. And he rescues the two fisher peoples as they are shot down by this floating ziggurat. And a conversation ensues in which uh, Nexus asks about the ziggurat and the people, the, these two locals tell him what they know, invite him to dinner. He has dinner, stays the night. Um, doesn't really learn too, too much, except that it's been there for a really, really long time, and people worship it or whatever's inside it. We don't know the difference. And so whatever you're going to do, you're going to make some people mad, and then other people are going to worship you. So just, you know, understand what you're doing here. And he says, well, unless I can find a way to do something without destroying your son, I won't do anything at all. So do, do you have any ideas how I can get rid of this thing? Because I need to get rid of the people inside without trashing your son. I, I don't want to do that. 
So uh, I guess they finally come up with a way, and the way is to assault the ziggurat from underneath. Apparently there are hatches there. So Nexus decides he's just going to wait in, in this little uh, copse of trees here as the ziggurat floats over top, and then when it's over top of him, he will attempt an assault from the bottom. Well, when the ziggurat comes in range, it fires on him. It, it knows he's there. So it lands with a thud on top of him, I guess, seeming to squish him, but it happens that there is a hatch, I guess, right above him, and he enters the bottom of the ziggurat through this hatch. Uh, inchoate suffering, inchoate, 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 however you say that word, I-N-C-H-O-A-T-E, suffering and a sense of power behind that door, he notes. Just begun and so not fully formed or developed, rudimentary is the definition of inchoate, 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 inchoate. Hmm. Okay, I'm not sure rudimentary suffering uh, that doesn't make sense. But he goes beyond the door and he sees rack after rack of heads. Uh, this is getting to be a theme. Heads kept alive, used as batteries of people. Think of me, Clausius, as I think of you, uh, Nexus utters. We cut to the command deck where we see the captain of the ship and her number one talking. Nexus invades, says her name. Do you know who I am? Yes. The number one attacks. Nexus knocks him out. Please don't hurt him, she says. Inga, he'll live. You won't say what you... You won't. Say what you shalang, please. So it's true. Not a fairy tale to frighten children and old women. Now you have come for me. Is that it? That's it. And it doesn't matter to you that I have harmed no one these last 30 years, that my own life imprisoned in this fortress is a living hell? Doesn't matter to me. Doesn't matter to the hundreds of thousands of men, women, and children you slaughtered as chair of the Central Committee on... Samarace, the planet, not the island, uh, the editor tells us. So uh, we then get into dialogue here between Inga and Nexus about why she did what she did. Does she deserve to die? You know, she's basically she's trying to talk out of it. And Nexus has none of that. She then invites Nexus on a round of, well, if this is my last day, allow me to do these things that I enjoy. And she sits and has tea with a rose that she cut from her garden there with her. She asks to see his face. And when he takes the visor off, he's crying. And she says, are you crying for me? And he says, oh, heck no. I'm crying for all your victims. Puts his visor back on. They go for one final walk. And she walks to the balcony that she likes to look at and launches herself over. He stands there, watches her fall, breaks off one of the roses and tosses it after her. And then sits down and something. I don't know if he sits down because he didn't have to do anything, or if he sits down and is still overcome by the sadness of all her victims, or I'm, I'm not sure which it is. But So the boat, the, the ziggurat is floating once again after he entered it. Now it lands again. Uh, Nexus frees all the floating heads, tells them that they are free to do whatever they want, but he cannot take them with him because his moon, his home land is full. We, we have no more room. There's no room at the end. He tells them. So they go out back where the animals are fed. And No, I'm kidding. Um, he asks, did Clausius do this? And one uh, screams out, I, Clausius. Then he sold us to Inga. One of these days, Clausius, Nexus yells out as he shakes his fist in the air. More symbolic than anything else. So now all the floating heads are introduced to the indigenous uh, froggy amphibiac, amphibiac people of the planet. And some of them they know. 
Um, others are, you know, new species and whatever. But apparently they're all going to live happily ever after because Nexus leaves with – he's clutching a cylinder of something. And I, I don't know what's in it. Uh, we don't see where it was given to him. Just he flies off. We return home. He surprises Sandra in their forest habitat that they like here. Mesro comes up and is excited to have him back, but Nexus sees that Mesro is wearing some, or Horatio sees, I should say, that Mesro is wearing some Nexus merch, and he gets upset because Vooper is selling these, and he marches off, Nexus does, Horatio does, throwing the hat on the ground, says, Vooper, give that man a place to live, and this is the thanks I get, and then he yells out for him, Vooper! Mesro says, wow, what's he so mad about? And Sandra says he'll get over it. We then cut to a very private gymnasium somewhere in the inner web. And a young woman is working out, exercising. Uh, there's several implements of death and destruction around, but also standard workout equipment. She finishes her workout as someone calls for her. He is referred to as Lynn by her. Lynn says the test was positive, madam. The rabbit died. Boy, that is an old reference. I have not heard that reference to pregnancy, and I don't know how long. Did the bunny die? Wow. Who knows of this, she asks. That the test was yours? Only ourselves, madam. All the records have been destroyed. Thank you, Lynn. And then she kills him. Our child, she says, as uh, she walks through a door. So I'm thinking that that must be Nexus's, that must be Horatio's child. How? Because, um, I'm sorry, uh, she is thinking as she's exercising, if the source of Nexus power isn't technological, then it's biological. And if it's biological, then it might be hereditary. And if it's hereditary, then perhaps his child, and then we see all of this about her being pregnant. So I don't, I don't know where, they, where, where the boinking happened that Nexus impregnated her in the real world. Maybe it happened in some dream thing or something. I don't know. Next several pages, we have a Steve Rude bio here. Nothing extraordinary. Nothing particularly new either. Uh, truth be told. Full page ad, or actually half page ads for the Badger and the Nexus portfolio here on one page. And then a catalog for the next two pages of things that you can get from Capital Comics. Color Nexus, black and white Nexus. Now they're down to just offering the third issue of the black and white as issue one and two have now sold out by the time they produced Nexus 4 in color. You can get a subscription. Uh, you can get a color you, you can get Badger 1, which I talked about last episode, and you can get a subscription to Badgers 2 through 6. Buttons, the portfolio posters, Flexicomic tapes, which I assume is the soundtrack for the third black and white issue that came out. Capital Comics, Mail Order Department H, Post Office Box 908 in Madison, Wisconsin. I wonder if that's still valid for uh, someone. Wonder who has that now. Next is the letter pages, and the address for the letter pages is the same box nine zero eight as the order. Harlan Ellison, Pam Liberatore, Mark Waldman, John Anderson, Richard Gonzalez, Mark Weinstein, David Transu, David Lipsum, Jeremy McGraw, and Dana Buck are the letterers. Next issue, can a stand-up comic stand up to a room full of hostile aliens? Join Nexus and Judah for a drinking man's tour of the galaxy. And on the inside back cover is an advert full page for Fantastic Films, the magazine of imaginative media. I don't remember ever seeing this. I was a huge uh, Starburst and Starlog fan uh, when I was growing up. I don't remember Fantastic Films. 
Back cover, Capitol's new color comics. Born in America, Alexis Devon was raised in Japan and trained in the arts of ninjutsu from the age of six. She studied intensely not to be a mercenary killer, but to force her young body stricken with polio back to life. As she grows, she dreams not of adventure and intrigue, but of a simple, full life. One day, those dreams are shattered. Alexis finds herself caught in the center of a murderous power struggle between the lords of Japan's underworld, the mighty Yakuza. Why must she fight for her life again? Find out as she does in Whisper Number 1. Steve Grant and Rich Larson. Inks Dennis Wolf Colors Les Dorscheide. Cover by Michael Golden. Nice cover get. By the way, Capital Comics, good job. Nothing really stands out. Um, he, I, I, these dreams and running off and murdering people uh, just don't fully sit with me. I don't be, because we don't know who has chosen him to be an avenging angel. I find it difficult to swallow. Uh, this woman hasn't done anything for thirty years. Inga, thirty years now. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Does she deserve to be punished? Well, certainly. She deserved to be murdered? Mm, probably not, because isn't that the same thing that she did? And so, you you know, if you use the same methods, do you not become unto who you are fighting against? And I guess that's the whole crux of this nexus. You know, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Um, he's certainly not a villain. I perhaps would call him a bad guy or an anti-hero. He, um, you know, he's starting to resemble, in my eyes, the Punisher. And this shtick with the headless, with the bodiless heads uh, being used as source of power. So, somebody's got to put a stop to that, man. And this Clausius has got to be stopped once and for all. So those are my quick thoughts on that. The Harlan Ellison letter, uh, some of you may be interested in. Uh, just many, many accolades on the books. Many thanks for the courtesy copies of Color Nexus 1 and 2. So apparently they sent him the books, hoping that he would send a letter back. Kind of a fishing trip, and they got a bite from Mr. Harlan Ellison. Now, I do know uh, historically that Harlan Ellison can be a very difficult man. Uh, I've heard of other interactions that were not overly pleasant with the man. So I guess being able to get good words out of him is a, is a good thing after all. So there, there it is. All right, guys. Next episode looks like I'll be talking about the Badger Volume 1 Issue 2 for those of you that are interested as we start winding down our coverage of Capital Comics, preparing to move on to a new publisher, which I believe I already have in mind, but we still have many books from Capital to get through. Talk to you guys again next time. Thanks for listening. Ciao.